0: You know, it happens each year. How many of you have been to a pre-Thanksgiving Wednesday night before? Can I see? Some of you. Yeah. We do have these each, each year and it's kind of sweet. It's a little bit smaller and it's got a kind of holiday feel. And the theme of the talk will really be around the liberation that comes from having a heart that gives thanks. Um, but just to say that I noticed that each year we have people that have kind of traveled in to be with their families. And at one airline ticket office, this is in Copenhagen, they said, we take your bags and send them in all directions. <laughs> <laughs> but actually this year, you know, everybody predicted uh, terrible traffic and stuff. Well, tonight was a piece of cake. And, and then the, the flights and everything were going to be a disaster. And everybody I knew that flew in smooth as could be, so it's a good sign. There is an Indian teacher who, I think he died about a decade ago, his name was Munindraji and a number of the senior teachers from this country studied with him and at one point he was asked how come he practiced or what's the purpose of practice? And his response was to live the life fully and often when I talk to people and we really get down to what is it that matters to you there's a sense the pain is a kind of a despair of skimming the surface of kind of racing to the finish line and the yearning is in some way to truly be able to arrive in our life and have that meaningfulness of really being here and and not holding back our love, you know, loving fully and living fully. So I want to explore that, living the life fully, and in particular, um, emphasize two facets of what it means to love without holding back. And I'm going to relate them to the breath because I feel like what we do in our biological physical being is exactly the expression of this, of these qualities. And with the in-breath, it's this capacity to truly take in and appreciate this life, to be touched by life, to not be so preoccupied or in our heads or on our way somewhere that we can't feel that sense of gratitude that really has to do with being touched by the beauty and mystery and preciousness. So there's breathing in. And then, of course, the breathing out is this this offering of what we are into the world. It's the generosity of spirit. And they go absolutely hand in hand. You can actually sense it that anyone that's a person that's truly a grateful, appreciative person is naturally generous i mean think of people you know the people that are appreciative it just it goes in and it flows out there's just there's not a holding on because gratitude doesn't have a grasping it's almost you have to have your hands open to breathe in and be touched and people that are really generous there's something in them in that flow of generosity that they're kind of lit up by the world there's an abundance Somebody sent me this a while ago, executive quits the fast track to spend more time with possessions. <laughs> so, so that's not generosity and gratitude. That's a little different energy. <laughs> I like that. But I actually think of these two qualities of loving, of breathing in and being touched by life, loving the life, receiving the life, loving what is, and this flowing out of giving as um, another word for it is grace. Grace that there is a quality of grace in our lives when we have this capacity to appreciate and this capacity to give, not out of being dutiful or being good, but just, just a natural abundance. There is an image uh, that, I, that I like that goes with this a bit that someone once told me where if you imagine the Gulf Stream, if there is a straw in the Gulf Stream, if it's kind of at an angle to the stream it gets kind of rotated around and it's awkward and bouncing and bobbing. But if it's aligned with the Gulf Stream the water flows through it and it gets carried. And there's something about that as grace, that if when we're aligned, when we're not resisting what's happening, um, when we're not trying to chase after, when there's alignment, the life comes in and it's appreciated and the life flows out and it's, it's given with grace. So... And as you know, and this is something I would say everybody here knows intuitively, when there is that kind of gratitude and generosity we are happy. I mean there is a direct correlation with happiness. And of course, you know, I, I love the research that now they've got such good uh, technology to track the brain that now they're able to track people when, they're, when they've just done something generous or when they're feeling grateful and see the left prefrontal lobe light up, you know, and that's the, that's the um, part of the brain that's connected with positive affect and happiness. Uh, so, And also there's a release of endorphins and Um, biologically we get happy when we're appreciative and we get happy when we're generous and that prefrontal cortex does not light up when we're preoccupied, when we're self-centered. In other words, when we're trying to get more for moi, we're not happy. It doesn't feel good. So we value it. But when we're honest and reflect on our lives, how often do we really feel a visceral sense of gratitude? And I don't mean the kind of gratitude that's like an idea, like, oh, that was awfully nice of so-and-so, I really appreciate they did such-and-such, or sometimes it's a sense of relief, you know, phew, I'm, I'm glad that person didn't charge me overtime, or, you know, like it sounds like gratitude, and even when we're in this fall and watching these, these brilliant skies and the silhouette of the trees and we might get struck and go, oh, how beautiful it's not... we don't always really pause enough to take it in which is the key kind of mediating mechanism, so to speak, of gratitude that unless we know how to pause in other words, unless we know how to really arrive right here gratitude is abstract there's no way to be viscerally touched by life, we can't breathe in and feel the in-breath unless we've paused and we're here and as we know, it's not our conditioning to pause and in this season, it's a speedy season, isn't it? and we just, it seems to speed up so what happens is that Um, and this is your basic Buddhist dharma or teaching is that our conditioning is to want life different to have an idea of a self that's on its way somewhere to have a sense of not enough, that something's wrong and that conditioning doesn't allow us to pause that conditioning gives us the directions to move faster to think more, to worry, to plan, to figure out. So the conditioning's is not conducive to gratitude and we are not in the flow of the Gulf Stream. So if we look at how that conditioning plays out we can see it really clearly with other people that mostly there is in some way a sense in interacting of trying to control something. Either we are trying to control how that other person's experiencing us we're trying to make sure there's some distance or that we're getting something or that we appear a certain way or we're trying to get others to do something and again, we can't experience true appreciation of another you can't see who's there and appreciate if there's any agenda any agenda I shared this some months back some of you might remember, I love it old man in Phoenix calls his son in New York and says, I hate to ruin your day but I have to tell you that your mother and I are divorcing, 45 years of misery is enough Pop, what are you talking about, the son screams We can't stand the sight of each other any longer, the old man says, we're sick and tired of each other and I'm sick of talking about this so you call your sister in Chicago and tell her, and he hangs up Frantic, the son calls his sister who explodes on the phone, like heck they're getting a divorce she shouts, I'll take care of this She calls Phoenix immediately and screams at the old man. You are not getting divorced. Don't do a single thing until I get there. I'm calling my brother back and we'll both be there tomorrow. Until then, don't you do a single thing. Do you hear me? And she hangs up. The old man hangs up his phone and turns to his wife. Okay, he says, they're coming for Thanksgiving and they're they're paying their own way. (laughs) That's my favorite Thanksgiving story. (laughs) So if those of you that come each year to this particular class, you've heard it. <laughs> and it's fun, but if you take a moment to sense that how many moments with others, on some level there's some agenda to um, get something or avoid something, often it's that we're trying to find a way to extricate from conversations. It's kind of interesting. Um, I like the story of Postmaster General J. Edward Day. He revealed in his book an ingenious way to stop a long-winded telephone caller. He suggests that you hang up while you are talking. <laughs> the other party will think you were accidentally cut off because no one went hang up on their own voice. You know? <laughs> so we all have our strategies. But the point is that our strategies for trying to manage our life you know, whatever level it is, our strategies for getting more done, our strategies for convincing other people of something, in those moments, those are not moments that we've paused enough to really take in who's here, to be able to listen to the sounds that are here, to feel the breath, to have a quality of appreciation. So we do it with others. We in many ways, we're trying to control our own experience in the moment, and it's very culturally driven. The sense of um, I think even uh, who was it, William James, or I think it was him, about a hundred years ago, said that no matter what we're doing, we always think we should be doing something else. And you know how it is, it's so difficult to totally settle into just this. Okay, just doing this dish, or just getting the mail, or just picking this off the shelf at the grocery store, and not thinking that we're trying to do it faster so we can get to this, or plotting out, are we going to go to the bank first before we... It's very challenging to let this moment matter as much as any moment in the universe. Because this conditioning is... I need something to be different. I need the next moment to contain what this moment does not. Deep conditioning. So, this is really dukkha, this unsatisfactoriness. When we are in some way in that sense of something is missing or something's wrong, and I invite you to keep pausing and checking and saying, in this moment, is there a sense that something's missing or something's wrong? That in some way I'm not quite comfortable and want it different? Because in any moment that we're living in some story that we're on our way or that it needs to be different, in those moments, those two qualities of the heart, in a visceral way, aren't awake. Just in those moments. So what I'd like to do for the rest of our evening together is explore what I think of as the three pathways to awakening these capacities, the three main pathways. And I'll tell you what they are in advance. And the first one is what we practice here all the time, which is really presence with what is. Usually the what is feels like we're trying to get away from it or control it or change it. Absolute unconditional presence with what is is the first pathway. I think of it as loving what is. The second pathway is a little different. It's intentionally remembering what we love. And any of you that have done day-longs with me, I try almost every time I do a day-long to build in towards the end a meditation on, on what we love because it is so revolutionary and radical and important because we are so habituated to the something's wrong experience. It changes the brain to start remembering what we love on purpose. The third is active. It's offering our blessings, offering in some way of generosity, offering our blessings. So the first one, which is really another way of saying mindfulness, this gentle presence with what's actually happening, it's in a way just meeting life with an awake heart, with a soft heart, saying yes. And mindfulness steps out of this notion and there's this construct of whatever's happening, we usually add a layer, a layer of evaluation of not okay, something's off. It's recognizing that and courageously contacting exactly what's happening as it is. There's a, a woman recently who described how for her she had been doing fine, but she went into a real collapse when the economy collapsed and it was she crashed. And this is a woman who's single and she felt like she was really doing well in her life, but when the economy crashed and she started feeling as so many of us, you know, the squeeze, it dropped her, it kind of regressed her into this very old sense of, well, other people are, have a partner or family or somebody that cares about them and they're facing this together, but I'm having to take care of myself and I'm going to get old and be alone, and and this intense vulnerability, really deep, really old, of, of alone and afraid and unsupported. She kept telling me the word unsupported, the sense of nobody's there for me, I'm not special to anyone so That's what the crash brought up, and when we started exploring it, she got in touch with this very deep loneliness. So for her, um, she was in this very gray period. She said, "You know, and of course this this is when, you know, the leaves are beginning to turn and drop." And and she said everything turned, even though the colors were brilliant. It's like in her view, it was gray and drab, and everything was death. You know, and, and, and she was alone. And she described how her practice was to absolutely bring a presence for her. She used, I've shared here, the um, Father Thomas Keating talks about I consent, you know, this I consent to whatever is going on. So she started consenting to the insecurity and consenting to the feeling of unsupported and consenting to the loneliness. Now that is powerful. When you get really in touch with loneliness, there's a sense that this is really, something's really wrong. And to consent to it, to remove all resistance, to consent to loneliness, as the poet Javi says, let the loneliness cut more deep. To consent, something broke open when she consented to loneliness something broke open and she said that when she got intimate with her loneliness it was like it cracked open and she was intimate with all the currents of her life and it was like almost that loneliness was this portal to feeling this energetic belonging that was beyond anything that any single I have this partner or I belong to this could give it was energetically alive And she described, and it was really quite beautiful, how that drab grayness of the world, by the time she had broken through that portal, it really was getting, it was in those days that were really those gray November days. And she said it was exquisite and that she belonged to November and she belonged to the life inside her and the the sorrow and the fear was there but she was like the space that all these currents were moving through and it just reminded me again of that straw in the, in the Gulf Stream that in some way she let herself be aligned, she said she consented to the currents of loneliness and then she was really carried by some grace. So this is the first of the um, Gateways to waking ourselves up that it doesn 't matter what the experience is it 's this courageous willingness to consent, and what usually happens when we usually go around with some idea and it 's a complaint it 's like a complaint about how life is it 's just this mood we 're just in it, and anything can set it off. You can get an email that sounds that 's a little kind of torque or somebody can say something or whatever it is this mood sets in, and it's this generic complaint. And then what happens is that there's some lag time before we go, Oh, okay, so being present with this, with this sense of grumpiness or um, uneasiness or, you know, annoyance, or maybe it's more extreme with this real fear, anger. But there's a lag, and then we remember... And then this really radical practice of consenting and being with can actually bring us to a very, very deep intimacy with what's here. So with each of these practices I'll describe it a little and we'll just practice a little to see um, how this is in our own life. And we'll do this one right now, just take a moment, if you will, to let your attention go inward And in these little exercises or reflections I often invite you to bring up something that's challenging and if it doesn't fit for you right now just let your practice be simple presence. Because there's no way that a guided meditation matches everybody what they need to practice in that time. But if for you as you're here, just starting with the breath see if you can, with the in-breath, just sense that the in-breath is just as it is biologically on every level, it's to let you receive this life. So just explore that with the in-breath, receiving this life, being touched. With each in-breath, see if you can soften and open so that you become the field of receptivity. It's like every fiber, every cell is absolutely willing to receive consenting, saying yes. And as you breathe out, just letting go of whatever's here. So it's breathing in and receiving, breathing out, and just a pure letting go. So, this is the basic quality of presence. This Breathing in and receiving and noticing what's happening. Allowing, breathing out, letting go. And in this presence you might sense if there's anything in your life that's calling your attention, that's challenging, anywhere where your straw is off-kilter, out of balance in terms of the currents of life. And it may be something, a relationship where you're at odds with someone. It may be something going on with your health that's upsetting. Maybe a behavior, addictive behavior. It may be something to do with finances and the economy. Whatever it is, just for some time, just let that situation be here and sense what's really upsetting and just let it be felt so that you're agreeing to feel the experience, how it's living in your body right now. Often that means going to the place in the experience that's most upsetting, what you're afraid of, And then just sensing how you feel that in your body, your throat, your chest, your belly. But as you do this, continue to breathe so that as you breathe in it's like you're willing to be touched by the experience. It's kind of courageous that you're willing to let yourself experience the fear or the sadness or the anger hurt or as that woman did the loneliness just consenting to what's going on saying yes with the in-breath but don't forget to breathe out and sense the possibility of just simply letting go not holding on to it as if you could just release it into the universe the great heart of the universe Offer it, let it go. So you're breathing with what's difficult. You're breathing it in and you're letting it go. And as you continue to consent with the in-breath and relax with the out-breath sense the presence, that which is aware which is larger than any of the currents that you're experiencing So you become the whole ocean and the gulf streams just moving through you you might sense how this particular situation in your life can be something that can serve awakening, serve your compassion, your wisdom. So just as that woman found by opening to loneliness she found that intimacy, you might sense what the gift of consciousness is for you, what's possible. So that's part one. Breathing with, opening to, being with the life that's here as a way back to an open heart. Now part two, as I mentioned, we have such a habit of scanning for what's wrong and fixating on the negative. Um, everyday niggling ways life doesn't cooperate can sour us. You know, just just getting into a mood that um, it stops us from appreciating. And have you ever noticed the effect of just waiting in a long line at the post office? I mean, that's—I mean, just that alone. Or breaking a nail if you happen to have nails. Or if you've run out of your cereal, your favorite drink, how it can just lock you into some grimness. And um, so the idea is not to pretend that everything's groovy and everything's fine. It's, it's, not, it's just not to lock into this biochemical kind of state of complaint. And then I do, if, if I say something and it doesn't resonate, check it out and notice how often there's some undercurrent of a complaint, because I think it's a useful thing. We, we miss out. I remember um, we left the um, retreat this fall and we were driving back to Washington and this elementary school had this big sign out front saying, If you miss the little things in life, you miss out on life. And I was saying, God, that's amazing. This little elementary school's got this cool sign. If you miss out on the little things, you miss out on life. I was driving with my partner, Jonathan. And he said, yeah, but what about if you miss out on the big things? <laughs> you know, that's another way of missing out. But the point is, we get fixated. We get fixated on whatever seems compelling in the moment, like finishing a task or, you know, getting a raise or a child's grades or renovations, I say renovations, we're having to do some stuff in our house and we forget the big picture, we forget what matters so I share with you, this is a poem by David Budbell he wrote it because uh, this great Chinese poet of a thousand years ago his name was Han Shen, said we're just like bugs in a bowl all day going around and that's what our lives are like Okay, I thought that was a great image. You know, it's like We're real concerned about all this stuff, but we're just like these bugs in a bowl just going around. So here's the poem. I say, that's right, up the sides and back down, round and around, over and over again. Sit in the bottom of the bowl, head in your hands, cry and moan. Or look around, see your fellow bugs. Say, hi, how you doing? Say, nice bowl. <laughs> anyway, so this is part two, it's about nice bowl, (laughs) you know. Isn't that a great poem? (laughs) I love that. What's it? The poet's name is David Budbell. Say, hi, how you doing? Say, nice bowl. (laughs) Anyway, it's a good mantra. So the Buddha basically said, whatever you most frequently dwell on, to that the mind will be inclined that's a little scary when you think about what do we really dwell on (laughs) you might just for a moment close your eyes and let me just have you check something out I'm just going to say two words and the first word I want to say is trouble, trouble and just sense what happens when you hear the word trouble trouble we've got some trouble here And then sense what happens when I say the word kindness, kindness, what happens. Keep your attention inside now. Bring to mind someone in your life that you love, someone that is close to you, someone you spend pretty much time with. and for a moment just let that person come to mind and and take a moment to bring to mind what annoys you about that person (laughs) you got that? (laughs) actually take some moments, just sense it what annoys you and be real you know, just let yourself check that out Exaggerate it a little just so you get the sense. Okay, and then also take a moment to consider what really you most like about them. I mean, what is it that really lets you know that person's dear? What brings that, what opens your heart when you think about them? Imagine that person happy or laughing or the way they show their love to you, their goodness. And now include both. Just take a few moments to sense, and you can do this, sense both. Let them both be there. What's annoying and what's endearing. And just sense what happens in your body. Okay, now open your eyes. Now the reason that I, I mean, this is a very brief and quick, and for some people, you might have even by the time I ended, not have come up with the person you were going to think about. Because, <laughs> you know, these, it does, as I mentioned, with these guided practices, it ha- it's not always a match. But what's important is that we can choose what we pay attention to. And we have habits in how we pay attention. Ultimately, the freedom doesn't come from directing our attention. The freedom comes from an open awareness and just resting in it. And it can be skillful, it can be a tool as we're cultivating presence to notice if our conditioning is to lock into the something's wrong, if our condition is not to pause and appreciate, that there's a power and a beauty to reflecting on the goodness, to pausing and sensing, what do I love? What do I love about this being? Where's the goodness? And this is, the, this is the basic ingredient of the loving-kindness practice, the metta practice, and it's so powerful that if we really want to wake up our fullness of wisdom the prerequisite is that this heart be soft. We can't see clearly if there's not an open, kind quality of the heart. And that happens when we remember what we love, when we see the goodness. Thich Nhat Hanh I went to a retreat about, like now it must be about 18 years ago, and the way he ended the retreat was he had us stand in pairs and he had us first namaste, I see the divine in you, you know, that kind of bow. And that's what the word namaste means, I see the divine in you. And then he had us hug each other and we took three full breaths with the hug and in the first breath the reflection was, you're going to die. And the second breath, and I'm gonna die. In the third breath, and we have just these moments together. The quality of intimacy and tenderness is amazing when we remember the reality of how it's all passing. And it's not to be morbid, it's the realness of how precious it is. And we get locked in, in our preoccupations and it's because we have forgotten. It's because we've forgotten. There's a friend of some of ours in the Sangha, a member of the Sangha that um that died that was killed in an accident about a week ago. His name's Brent Hurd. Some of you might know him. Wonderful youngish man. And I remember the last time I saw him was last time he was here maybe a couple of months ago or standing back there and i remember that he travels a lot and he was in india and he was in an accident and he got he bikes and his uh, bike was hit by a bus but because he travels a lot and i don't get to see him much i remember standing back there and thinking oh how special look who's here and you know and and it kind of stopped me and i don't always have that i i can get very habituated and not always pause in a way. And when I heard that he died just a few days ago, I heard it, I was so grateful for that. And it made me wish that, that there could be pausing more and more and more so that any moment of contact there's a sense of we're not on our way somewhere else. And that this is, this is precious. This matters. We can't love unless we pause and remember this matters. So I just want to take a pause right now, if you will, just to... First, uh, just say the na- his name again, Brent, just to sense whether you know him or not, this member of our Sangha, full of incredible generosity and creativity, and just the fragility and the preciousness of this life and just to offer our prayers to Brent and to all that love all those who love him then to invite you to include in your heart someone right this moment that you'd like to be more awake and you're loving and you're appreciating anybody in your life that you just would like to have that be intentional and pause and remember that I'm gonna die and you're gonna die and we have these moments on this earth so pick someone in your life And as you do, in these moments, just sense that person's goodness, what it is you love about him or her. And you might feel your appreciation and imagine expressing it, imagine letting that person know it. And continuing to widen this circle of gratitude and appreciation, just letting others that you care about come to mind. And just taking with each one that comes to mind a moment to pause and sense your intention to to really let yourself appreciate this person more. poet Hafiz says, this sky where we live is no place to lose your wings, so love, love, love. Widening the circle more now, just to sense what you love, sense the beings you love, what it is you love about this life. And as part of this expression of what you love, just begin to whisper, whatever it is that comes to mind that you love. So it might be a person's name, it might be that you love to hike in the woods, it might be that you love the setting sun, it might be you love the sound of the breeze in the trees, or Mozart, but just begin to whisper anything that comes to mind that you love. Beings, nature, life. Don't be shy. Let your heart express itself. The sky where we live is no place to lose your wings, so love, love, love. Letting go of the notion of what you love and just feeling the love itself, just viscerally the appreciation and love itself. What's it like in your body, in your heart? Be that love. So that's part two, which is intentionally remembering what we love. And it can be with the metta meditation, where we reflect on people that we love. You can reflect on loved ones that are, that are past, that have died. And it can be very sad and you can feel a lot of grief when you reflect on someone. And it can be your dog, cat, grandmother, parent. lot of grief, but if you keep reflecting on the beingness that you love and then just feel the love itself, just like the woman whose gateway was loneliness, you can come to that sense of a timeless intimacy and love. Some people do um, have partners, email partners, where they, they do this thing where they just every day, no matter what, email their partner and say three things I'm grateful for today a lot of people are doing this now in Dharma circles, it's another kind of the same idea to retrain, to undo the conditioning of fixating on something's wrong. Okay? So part two. The last part, and I'm going to be brief on it because I went too long on the first two parts, is really the activity of offering blessings to our world. It's as E.B. White said, each morning I wake up torn between the urge to serve and the urge to savor. You know, and so we savor, we take in. But then this generosity, it's, it's not like we're generous to be a good person. It's like to breathe out and to, to offer is part of the grace, part of the dance. A short story. The doctor called to say that her husband had experienced a massive heart attack during his physical exam. Gladys Johnson raced to the hospital wondering later if she'd even managed to hang up the phone. She tried not to think the worst but as she reached the doorway of her husband's room she lost her composure. All she could see was a mass of tubes, all kinds of machinery and squiggly lines on the monitor overhead. "'What's happened?' she cried." A stroke, the nurse answered grimly. He's stable now, but not very responsive. Gladys fell to the knees at the side of the bed and gripped her husband's hand tightly. I love you so much, she whispered, pressing his hand to her forehead. She prayed and told him how much she needed him to recover. Mrs. Johnson, what are you doing here? the doctor questioned from the doorway. A little rudely, Gladys thought. I'm praying for my husband, she said. But Mr. Johnson's in the next room. (laughs) In her emotional state, Gladys had entered the wrong room. Oh, dear, I hope I didn't disturb this poor man, she said as she left the room. Well, he's been unresponsive for a while, said the doctor, I doubt he even heard you. The next day, when Gladys visited her husband, she noticed that the bed in the next room was empty. What happened to the man next door, she asked. Well, he gained consciousness shortly after you left, the doctor replied. We're running some tests on him now, but I think he's going to be okay. He said an angel spoke to him last night and told him to get better. (laughs) True story. And I, I really love that story. We don't know the power of our hearts. We don't realize that you can smile at somebody and it really has an effect. You can just have the thought of something kind or appreciative, it has an effect. And when you reach out in some way, even a small way, like when you were reflecting on somebody that you wanted to be a little more intentional about, to let others know that we appreciate them, to be a mirror of another's goodness. We all forget our goodness. It's the greatest gift we can give to have another person in some way just be reminded that we appreciate them. And it feels good to us because we are then inhabiting more of who we really are. Our deepest nature is this grace of breathing in and breathing out and offering care. To offer blessings is the full embodiment of our awakened heart. It's what happens when our heart's awake. It's not like we're going to do something. It's that the blessings become offered because the caring is alive and awake. So that's the, the last piece. I'm going to close with a very brief meditation because we don't have more time for it now. But the invitation is in this season of the holiday season is to let our intention be awake, to breathe in and be touched by what's here and to breathe out and to offer our blessings to offer our care and in that breathing in and breathing out coming home to this this radiance of heart that really lets us live this life fully so if you will just once again close your eyes for a moment and in a simple way find your breath And as we did earlier, just explore what happens when you relax with the breath so the breathing in is simply letting yourself be touched by the breath, by life. As you breathe in, sense how receptive can you be? No resistance. And as you breathe out, sense how fully can you just let go as if your whole being could follow the breath out through your nose and you could just merge with the great space around you, that sky of awareness. Let go, let go. This sky where we live is no place to lose your wings. So love, love, love. You get the message? <laughs> Namaste. <laughs> you have to go with it sometimes, don't you? <laughs> okay. The teaching you have received has been freely offered. If you would like to contact the Insight Meditation Community of Washington to make a donation or to learn more about our programs, please visit our website at www.imcw.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.